You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. going on everybody good evening welcome to review and preview i'm your host tom scavetta join alongside a recurring fill-in co-host for us hank indictor hank thank you for joining me how's it going of course i'm doing pretty good i am amped up and ready for game one lgr baby absolutely the the nerves are in the rangers won game seven we're going to talk a lot of hockey tonight folks if you're wondering where kyle russo is he's taking a week off because he is in the midst of finals, he is graduating college this week. So uh, big congratulations and shout out to him. But I'm joined here alongside Hank tonight, and we have a lot to talk about. We really do. And, of course, we always start the show with breaking news. But before we dive into this, folks, I want to remind you all where you can find us, where you can check us out if you like our content. It's at Review and Preview Sports below on our ticker on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the anchor for some audio listeners and our youtube channel at review and preview sports where we post consistent short videos and our new tiktok account at review and preview if you like fun facts if you like historical trivia related around sports tune in every friday hank has one sometimes two fun facts up there for the fans so hank loves sharing those doesn't he yep it's true i i read way too many of those books you you know me all too well <laughs> That I do. That's why we're co-hosts on Big Blue Avenue. But speaking of Big Blue, we have to start with the breaking news. And folks, if you want to comment throughout the stream tonight, you can comment in the comment section below. We'll get back to you. We'll give you some feedback as right here. Garth Michael Patrick already saying, yo, 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 what is up, gentlemen? Yo, yo, yo. Garth, congrats not only on your Game 7 win, but your Game 1 win against the Florida Panthers last night in Round Two. But before we get into hockey, let's get to the breaking news. The Philadelphia Eagles signed cornerback James Bradbury to a one-year $10 million deal. Now, Hank, you and I both knew the writing was on the wall for Bradbury with the Giants cap situation. There was always a chance he would sign with them, but I didn't believe it would happen. And now here he is. James Bradbury is a Philadelphia Eagle. What went through your mind this morning when you found out this news? The first thing I thought of, could we just fire Dave Gettleman once again? I mean, look, Joe Jane, Joe, Joe Shane gets absolutely no blame whatsoever. He got put into a horrible position, and you know who put him into this mess? I am going to quote a phrase that has been used on another show you might have heard of called Game On. Shout out Johnny and Nick if you're watching this. Good old Dave Gettleman. Thank you for spending the re- for fooling around with the cap and putting us in the same situation 
that a typical college freshman is in whenever he uses a credit card for the first time. It's a real, real shame. And oh my and goodness. the fact that he had to go to the friggin' Eagles of all teams, that just makes it even worse. Daniel Bakley, um, big Eagles fan who follows our channel. Garth says D Bakes is huge win for Eagles. Now you get to pair James Bradbury opposite of Darius Slay. Right. And the deal itself is seven and a half million guaranteed with two and a half million in incentives. And can we really blame James Bradbury? I don't necessarily think this is a shot at the Giants. I think his market was low. That's why the Giants couldn't trade him. And the fact that he got a one year, $10 million deal is impressive from a cornerback needy team. Their CB2 was Avante Maddox. They needed to upgrade in that position, especially following the trade for A.J. Brown. The draft that they had was pretty impressive, getting Jordan Davis, getting Cam Jurgens to beef up that O-line. And now they add another piece and fill in one of their weaknesses on defense in acquiring James Bradbury from the Giants, who will play opposite of Darius Slay, which you know makes me cringe a little bit because Kenny Galladay is a former teammate of Darius Slay and James Bradbury, and now he has to go up against both of them. Not fun at all. No. And you know what? Now the Eagles are making another case for possibly winning the NFC East, which, you know, might happen because, again, if you look at that division historically, it never has a repeat. And you know what? The commanders even got better. They certainly upgraded their quarterback position. So makes everything wide open. Obviously, unfortunately, we know the one team that we probably will not be in the mix, but all we're asking for from Big Blue is progress, but that's kind of a discussion for maybe another day and maybe for a different show called Big Blue Avenue. You guys may have heard of it. Absolutely. And um, the thing was, Bradbury was set to make $13.5 million with the Giants this year. They saved $10 million in cap. And what are the Eagles getting? Well, they're getting a 2020 Pro Bowler who has led his team in past deflections every year of his six-year career so far. He is a zone coverage corner who is really good at creating turnovers. He eyes down the quarterback very well, and he does not make many mistakes. So shout out to James Bradbury for finding a new home. Fortunately, um, James Bradbury took a uh, interesting drive down the Jersey Turnpike. We're not going to show no, 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 the literal not. drive that Bradbury took because we, we we do have that on film, not literally, but uh, we have a little clip. But unfortunately, he's gone. So let's transition into some other changes around the sporting world, and you and I both Rangers fans, both getting ready for game one as the national anthem is being sang right now. Um, Beautiful performance. The Rangers play the Hurricanes in game one tonight, but our out-of-town rivals, I guess you say, uh, interstate rivals, the New York Islanders, fired Barry Trotz. uh, Yay. Uh, Don't know why they did it. They promote from within Lane Lambert to be their new head coach. And Hank, when I first saw this, I was confused. I didn't understand why they did it. This is nothing against Lane Lambert. I don't think it was uh, a bad hire, but you can't tell me he's an upgrade over Barry Trotz. Absolutely not. Well, no, if anything, it's basically a lateral move because this is a guy who has been an assistant under Barry Trotz for many years. So, 
more more than likely he's probably going to ha- have the same defensive philosophies and whatnot with the New York Islanders. And, you know, it just nothing about it really makes sense. But, you know, at the same time, I'm also not sure how much of a difference keeping Barry Trotz would have made. And I know this is going to sound like a hot take, but this is also why I am praising Barry Trotz because, you know, let's be real. He pretty much squeezed all he could out of the New York Islanders. You look at that ro- look at that roster and tell me that that's a team that you think screams, oh, back-to-back conference finals appearances. No, this is a team that basically had such a really good defensive philosophy. And you look at Barry Trot- Trotz's uh, track record. It's a guy who pretty much won Jack Adams. He had a major turnaround for the Islanders first year as their head coach. Swapped the Penguins. Obviously, they get bounced in the second round and then – as I mentioned, you had the two back-to-back conference finals appearances where in the second conference finals appearance, they were a shorthanded goal and a shutout away from possibly even winning that Stanley Cup. And then, of course, the next year you look at what happened. There's no way you can really look at it and tell me that it was Barry Trotz's fault because obviously you not only had the COVID situation, you had that major road trip because they were still building the new UBS arena, which – surprisingly yours truly never made a trip that, but I hear it's a really nice place. And I'm hoping next year I can finally see the Rangers make, make an appearance there, but it was, it's a really surprising move. And, you know, again, I don't think, I don't think it's a move that really makes the Islanders better or worse. I think they're probably going to be the same team. You don't really have a lot of superstars with the exception of Matt Barzell. And you could maybe make a case for Sorokin. He's a rising star among the NHL goalies, but Mm -hmm. I don't think the Islanders are going to be going anywhere. I think they're probably going to be – if they're going to get better, it would be marginally, but I don't think they're really going to get, ever get back to the peak that they had under Barry Trotz, that's for sure. At least not for a long time. And if Lane Lambert brings anything to the table, it's that he was a protege under Barry Trotz. We're going to see a lot of the similar stuff, I'd imagine. Obviously, he's going to try to take a different approach with this team, but – uh, this is a good point from Garth here. Uh, I feel bad for Barzal, absolute stud player stuck on a bad roster. Um, I don't know if they're bad yet, but they're definitely underwhelming. I think that's a more appropriate word to use than bad. But yeah, yeah. and when you really look at the way they're constructed, Lou Lamb really as good of a job as Lou Lamb did at the beginning. I mean, he made some moves that definitely made them deeper and in a good position to make those, uh, you know, conference finals in the two years that they did. He never really got that game changer that could have put the Islanders over the, over the top. Instead, he went after older guys like a 45-year-old Zidane Chara, who I can't believe that guy was a rookie when I was a baby. That that feels shocking to believe. And Still playing? I'll tell you, this also isn't as shocking when you think about Lou Lamb's track record because he has been had notorious for – hiring and firing a lot of coaches with the New Jersey Devils. I guess you could stay in Steinbrenner-like fashion. So, In Steinbrenner-like yeah. fashion. I like I like that reference there. And oh, it's true. A lot of the coaches that were with the New Jersey Devils never really lasted like more than like three or four years. And I think Jacques Lemaire had like multiple stints with them as their head coach. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Another firing, Vegas fires uh, their head coach, Peter DeBoer. Also former coach for the San Jose Sharks. He's now off their ship as well. But we have the Rangers game going on live right now, folks. You know, a lot of Rangers fans are watching. 
with us here tonight. We're going to be covering the game throughout the show, and we're going to be talking hockey through primarily most of the show, and they are on a power play already, not even two minutes into the game. And Garth says, Corey Perry, 37, still going strong. This is also very, very true. And um, quick shout-out, Deanna Karens, go review and preview. Go Deanna, who finished with her master's in speech-language pathology yesterday. So uh, thank you very much for commenting, and congratulations once again. Um, I know we celebrated last night and throughout the course of the week, but, um, yeah, you know, it should definitely uh, be a good summer for you. So thank you, Deanna. Johnny in the comment section. Hey, guys, what a night. Rangers starting the second round. Cole and Scherzer on the mound, and you guys on my computer, LGR. Johnny, couldn't thank you enough for watching. Um, yeah, hopefully the Rangers, it looks like Strom just got a tripping penalty. Making it four on four. Um, again, I'm not going to say too much because Hank is behind me, but it is currently four on four. So the Rangers just blew through that power play. But um, not the start you wanted in this series. Y- yeah. Garth says our realistic predictions for our series against the Canes. Well, I'll be blunt, and I think I already told you this, Garth, in our group text, but I have the Canes winning in six games. I think the Rangers are you know, exhausted. So are the Canes from their previous round series. But I think the Canes, they're younger. They're faster. They're really, really good. They're well coached by Rob Brendamore. And look at the way the Rangers played against an older team that was dealing with a lot of injuries in the playoffs. They went down 3-1. If they go down 3-1 against Carolina, there's no chance in hell they're coming back again. I'm sorry. But they're here. I'm happy they're here. I want the Rangers to win the series, but I have Carolina winning in six games. Yeah, I don't I unfortunately don't disagree for pretty much the same reasons, but you know what? With that having been said, do I think it's impossible? Absolutely not. And let me ask this question to you, Tom. Why not us? Why not us, right? No quit New York. That's the hashtag that's been going around. And, you know, I want to ask you last night, um, let's talk about your Game 7 experience at the Garden on Sunday night. Um, We're going to switch our banner here. They beat the Penguins 4-3 in overtime. Hank, what was the experience like being at a Game 7 hockey game supporting your favorite team? That was one of the most unreal, crazy experiences I've ever had in my lifetime. I mean, look, I've been to Yankee playoff games in the past where it was shaking in the Bronx. None of those Yankee games I went to, granted, I didn't go to game six of the World Series in 09. That was was my mom, one of my cousins. But still, none of those games compare with what I saw because, I mean, yeah, some of them were elimination games. This is game seven at Madison Square Garden the Mecca of New York and going in you like from the minute the Rangers entered the ice to Baba O'Reilly, or as I like to call that song, teenage wasteland, I got the chills and there was just such a big high for me. I had a really strong feeling they were going to win. And look, it was scary at times. Like there were moments where Pittsburgh scored some goals that came off of repays and look, I'm not going to be biased here. I thought those two goals were the correct calls. Obviously, The first one, the puck definitely went over the line. And there was a second one that was a little more controversial with the high sticking. But the problem with that call was even if it really was a high sticking, it was only marginally 
above the line for it to really be nullified. And they ruled it a goal on the ice. So I didn't think there was any legit way that you could really take away that goal. And I can complain about some of the missed calls they had on the Penguins. But again, that's really neither here nor there. The Rangers, it was one of those, it was a crazy game. And I think the real turning point, I th- and Johnny made the same point with me on game on, the real turning point was when Keandre Miller had that fluky double doink goal that hit off of Jari's pad and went in that tied the game at two. And, you know, it was bigger once you got into the third period because, yeah, they may have been losing entering that, but what if it's three to one Pittsburgh? You look right. at the way the Rangers were playing in, in like the first half of the third, like the garden was getting quiet at that point. Like it looked like, you know, they weren't in good shape. And a lot of them, yeah, a lot of the people around me didn't have very high expectations, but then once Mika scored that goal, you know, to their credit, they hung in there. And while I don't necessarily want to say Igor stole that series, because let's be real, he had some clunkers and he did have a lot of, he did have multiple like three goal give ups. Like, he still did well when he had to in the third period. And then when Mika scored that goal, I pretty much knew the Rangers were in this. And they needed to end that game in overtime quickly because you you remember what happened in game one. I don't really want to regale the details about that no, whole yeah. nightmare. But still, they got the power play. And then Artemi Panarin had that shot. He finally shot the puck when like he had the chance. It went in, and it was such a party-like atmosphere at the end unreal i got home pretty late that night and granted i didn't have much many much time to sleep for work the next day but it was still unreal and i will never forget this day it was one of the best games i've ever attended in all my years of being a ranger fan and not only was it a great night for rangers fans but it was a historic night for hockey itself it was the first time a team that was down three to one in a playoff series trailed in all three games and came back to win. They came back to win. They trailed in all three of those games that they won to fight back in this nothing in, in five and six. Yeah. And it's I'll crazy. tell you another more history. This was the third time you had a game seven in overtime. The Rangers won at Madison Square Garden. Of course, as you know, the other two, Stefan Mateau, who who I actually met a few times during that series in the games that I went to. Super yeah. nice guy. And then Derek Stepan, who ironically is now with Hurricanes in 2015. So, yeah, more history for you right there. Absolutely. And um, let's get to the other team in the series that the Rangers are moving on to play against, the Carolina Hurricanes. They also beat their opponent in seven games, the Boston Bruins. Their game seven was in Carolina as well. And now the Rangers and the Hurricanes are currently playing in game one. Daniel Bigley says, what's up? Hello, Daniel. Series depends on Carolina's goaltending play. Uh, I definitely agree. I think Anderson, you know, he he was on Toronto not too long ago, and he struggled in the playoffs when he was there. Yes. And I definitely think Igor is the better goalie, and we saw back in 2019, and we're starting to see it again here this year, what good goaltending could do for you. Igor carried the Rangers at times, most of the time in this series, and Jordan Binnington the other night for the St. Louis Blues – had what 51 saves in game one. He kept them within one goal of the abs and they were leading at one point. I mean, that's what goal, good goaltending does for you, Hank. I mean, I mean, I know, I know I'm preaching, preaching to the choir here, but God damn, like Daniel's right. Will Anderson show up? Um, 
Garth and says, look, yes. we lived it with a previous goalie we had on this team. So, yeah. 100%. Um, and Garth says, anything is possible in the playoffs. Right, yeah. Nobody thought the Blues would win the Stanley Cup in 2019. But Jordan Bennington was an insane uh, rookie goaltender. They replaced Allen. They put him in there, and guys showed up. Guys like O'Reilly, they played really well, and they got hot, and they won the Cup. Um, Zabinijak. He's been huge. He has been. Him and Kreider, that duo on the first line for the Rangers is ecstatic. I mean, they're so fun to watch. Um, and and you, you know you know what? I'm going to give Truba a lot of credit as well because he, he's been great defensively. Um, oh, absolutely. He's been very physical. He's been going after pucks. Again, Pittsburgh fans, not a fan of his legal hit on Sidney Crosby. Very legal, but it was a rough hit. Um Give some credit to Jacob Truba as well. But, man, that's a Benajad-Kreider tandem. It's There's nearly, one other really impossible that stop. needs to be credited to, and that's Keandre Miller, who I think over the course of the season was one of the more improved Rangers. He actually he actually had a few game-winning goals this season. And funny, I mentioned Keandre Miller. He also had the double-doink goal that really kind of changed the momentum, if you really think about that game. Yeah, if you think about the series itself, and we're getting a live look at Tony D'Angelo right now sitting on the Hurricanes bench, uh, former Ranger in his own right, and Garth with another comment saying, Igor was huge. Man was facing 40-plus shots per game. For comparison, Vassy was facing right around 30 a game. Yeah, I mean, it's even more impressive. And Garth, uh, I know you were sec- secretly rooting for the Penguins in Game 7. Um, I, You know, I could put two and two together. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, his buddy Noah is a huge Pens fan. I'm not sure if he's comfortable commenting in the comments section yet. But, man, uh, that th- those Penguins gave the Rangers one hell of a series and vice versa. But, yeah, Igor was huge. You can't say enough about this, man. And, um, Garth, what about your Lightning, man? I mean, congrats to you guys as well. Wasn't Tampa down three to two in their series? So they had a way to go. They survive Toronto, who has another epic collapse. And now they lead Florida one nothing in their series. Incredible. It really is incredible. And um, I'm going to not give a reaction. I'm going to let Hank react in just a moment. Because uh, something Let's did go. just happen in the game. The Rangers are up one nothing. Goal by Philip Hey, 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 hey. Hey, why not us, right? The Rangers are up one nothing on the Carolina Hurricanes. A snapshot from Philip on the weak side. Beautiful pass from Lafreniere. Gets past Anderson. And this is the point that the guys in the comments section were just bringing up, ladies and gentlemen. I know, isn't it Ranta in there right now? It looks yes. like it is Ranta. It's not Our former uh, backups. One of the six former Rangers on the Hurricanes, I might add. Yeah, they're turning into the Lightning. Oh, oh. I, oh, I hate when people call the call the Carolina Hurricanes and the and the Lightning Rangers South. Well, hey, they're both still in the playoffs. Along, no, with the I, I know. I I hated that because like those Rangers never really made up their core. They were like yeah. players who provided depth and help to make them a good team, but they weren't really the guys that were building around. Absolutely. And let's talk about the Lightning. They beat the Leafs in seven games, um, and the Panthers, who they're playing, they beat the Caps in six. But uh, game one, the Lightning win four to one. They trailed one nothing early, but Tampa Bay really came on when it mattered. They scored three goals in the third period of that game. Perry, 
Kucherov, Bellamere, and Colton all scored. Bassey had 33 saves. And most importantly, the Lightning defense was phenomenal. I mean, I don't know if you credit it more to the Lightning defense or this abysmal Florida Panthers power play. 0 for 3. I mean, they were bad. I think you have to give a little bit of credit to both of them. I mean, the Lightning are a team that have, like, been able to handle a lot of these power plays. There's nobody in this playoff that's really has the experience that they do in like killing them off. And we, and their defense has already proven to be pretty lethal. I mean, it's a big reason why they've won the cup the past few years. So yeah, I think after that goal, the, the lightning, they bounce back and, you know, you got to give them credit where credit is due. They've, they've got the talent where like they can overcome a really good offensive powerhouse, like the Florida Panthers and, as great as they've been during the regular season, the Panthers, my one concern for them, yes, I completely agree with that. They do have one of the better penalty kills. My one concern with the Panthers going into the playoffs was their defense. And then, of course, you've got that $10 million goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky. You know you know, he's notorious for pulling off a stink bomb in the playoffs. Ask the Columbus Blue Jackets for proof. Yeah, and some concern for the Rangers here, Mott. Limps off the ice. Oh, that's not a not a guy you want to lose. No, the better depth players. In I the mean, range. they're already down. Goudreau and the other guy too, who I can't think of at the moment. Blay, who, by the way, Sammy Blay was seen practicing in a non-contact jersey before the game, and Gallant actually said in one of his press conferences that he wouldn't rule out the possibility of Blay coming back later on in the series if. If Mott's injury isn't too bad and you get Blay back and eventually you get Goodrow back, which is also a possibility, that could really help the Rangers, especially if they somehow pull off what what we think could be the impossible. Right, and and the goaltending is going to play a huge part of that. Speaking of goaltending, uh, you know, Garth brings up a good point. Vassy flipped the switch since the start of Game 6. He's playing lights out, as he says. And he's really happy with the way his team is playing right now. Um, I agree. You know, this is a team going for history, right? Three cups in a row. They're they're going for something that they may never be able to do again. It's very tough to win three Stanley Cups in a row. Um, you know who the last team to do it was? Uh, unfortunately, I do, Hank. But you can spit it out. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. Better I'd you than me. What? I'd rather not say their name. I know it was, but the closest that came to doing it was the Edmonton Oilers, I think. Well, I'm not a big fan of fish sticks. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Um, I'm not really a big fan of seafood on the whole either. So, yeah, let's move on. I actually like seafood, but not but, but not that kind of seafood. <laughs> um, yeah, and now the Lightning are up one nothing going into game two. They're peaking at the right time, like Garth says, and he brings up a good point. The, Bra- the Braden <laughs> – no pun intended. The Braden point injury had to change up the lines once we settled into that game late in the second. We really dominated them. Never been done in the salary cap era. This is also true. This is also true. Um, the Red Wings probably came pretty close, too, I think. The Red Wings were good. We're, we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s. They were really good. Yeah. Very, very good. But uh, – yeah, you know, I'm interested to see what happens in the Eastern Conference. Who do you have winning the Lightning Panther series, Hank? I said this before the series, so and I told you this through text, so don't don't take this as in just me saying it based off of one game. I had the Lightning in seven. 
We also had a phone call about this, I think. Because as I, as I said, the Florida Panthers are really good offensively, but yeah. I think if there's any team that can really shut them down, not just with their penalty kill, but their defense as a whole, it's the lightning. And also, how do you count off playoff Vasilevsky? Like, one thing, another thing I want to mention, give Garth a shout out to here. He sent me a statistic where over the past like two and a half years, Vasilevsky has been absolutely lights out, whether it be in a clinching game or on the rare occasions over the past few runs where the Lightning have asked, actually like been facing elimination themselves. That's exactly what you wanted out of your goalie. And I, I think he's actually, I'll tell you another fun fact about Vasilevsky. He might be the first, I'm going to go a lot on a limb and say that Vasi might be the first goalie that's like pretty high in goalie salaries to actually win a cup during the cap era. Yeah, it's tough to win with a salary cap consistently, but the Lightning have been able to do it. Uh, he mentions the Blackhawks won three in six seasons. The Pens won it back to back. and He only rooted for the Pens for Noah's sake in the Rangers series. I, I agree. You know, and, and it's similar to Washington too, right? How long are they going to go with o- o- Ovi? So, yeah, I think what you're seeing here is the changing of the guard, and it's it's crazy because those two pretty much were rookies right around the time that I started following hockey, and eventually they became the faces of the NHL. So it's hitting me right in the fields, even though I'm really not a big fan of one of those superstars that we met. <laughs> uh, and he brings up a good point. Those are Vasilevsky's stats, and yes, they're just mind-boggling. Exactly Unreal. And a great save made there by Ronta. But um, we'll get back to the script here. Yeah, so I have, I also have the Lightning in seven. Um, not the sound of vanilla to copy off Hank, but we had this discussion already, and I'm not going to veer off my first original prediction. I think Tampa Bay and Florida are two evenly matched teams. I think the Lightning are clicking at the right time. At the right time, I wouldn't be surprised if the lightning win this series sooner than expected, but uh, you know, a lot of people were high on the Panthers this year. So I think they're going to win a few games in this series and bring the lightning to the, to the brink. So that's what I have lightning in seven. So you and I both have a hurricanes lightning conference fine. And now I'm wrong though. I hope I'm wrong about one of them. Yeah. But, um, Next up, Colorado and St. Louis. So the Blues beat the Wild in six games. Impressive. And the Avs beat the Predators in a 4-0 sweep. They've yet to lose a playoff game. They're 5-0 in the playoffs. Um, They've played five games in over two weeks. It's remarkable. Uh, I think they are clear-cut the best team remaining in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, Josh Manson had a game-winning goal in OT last night, and they're a team that deals with adversity very well. They trailed one nothing, didn't phase them. They come back to win three to two in overtime. You mentioned concern in overtime, right? Well, with the way the Penguins were out shooting the Rangers in that series, is the way the Abs were out shooting the Blues last night, fifty-four to twenty-five. Well, not not by that much, but you get the point. Fifty-four to twenty-five in the shots on goal category, and the Abs won sixty-four percent of the of the faceoffs. Bennington was putting up Igor-like numbers, 51 saves, uh, as where Kemper only had to make 23. So there's the clear difference in the game, Hank. The offense by the Avs is just smothering the St. Louis Blues. I agree. However, with that being said, 
I don't think they're going to have as easy of a time putting away the Blues as they did the National Predators. I mean, look, credit to the Avalanche for putting away the Predators when they did. I had them sweeping the Predators before the series. You can ask Noah when we did our hockey special on review and preview what he thought. He said the same thing. In fact, to quote him, he'll he'll tell you he actually had them boat racing the Predators. But his words, not mine. I just wanted to put that out there. No, the National Predators are not nearly as deep. And I don't know that they're quite as ballotested. I mean, yeah, they made the cup finals like five years ago, but a lot of that team is pretty much gone. And not only that, they didn't have, they didn't have UC Soros. And once they lost UC Soros, you know they're pretty much in trouble. And you know they pretty much were dead on arrival going into that series. But as for the St. Louis Blues, like, you know, obviously they haven't quite been able to recapture the glory of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoff run. I mean, look, that was a Cinderella run. But with that being said, you also still have a lot of the battle-tested guys remaining from that cup run. And Jordan Jordan Bennington knows a thing or two about being clutch in the playoffs when it matters most, although they also have that guy, Husso, who really did well for them in the second half. So maybe you'll see him getting some action. I think that series goes no less than six games. I think they'll probably find a way to win at least one or two. But ultimately, at the end of the day, as much as – as much as it would be cool to see them try to recapture the, the magic that won them that cup, I don't think they have the star power to compete with the Colorado Avalanche. I think, if anything, I would say this is their year to lose, Colorado Avalanche, to be honest with you. Wasn't it their year to lose last year as well, and they got bounced pretty early? Yeah, well, no, they, they choked in the second round of the, to the Knights. They were up 2 to nothing, and then somehow that same Knights team couldn't even beat the Hats. So, yeah. well, Thomas, you can't predict hockey. You hope you learn from this. Uh, as an Avs player or as a uh, coaching staff member. And I think they're going to be more prepared this time. Um, I, I say they're going to win the series in six games. That's where I have them. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the Blues maybe get two. I, I think they get at least one at home. Um, yeah, I'm going to give them some credit, man, because that good goaltending, that could do stuff for you. And Ryan Lindgren is not on the bench for the rain you now. Uh, sign of concern if you're a Rangers fan. Obviously, we're going to keep you updated throughout the course of this game here tonight. And a glove save by Igor. Beautifully done. All right. I'll take He's that. He's crazy. I got to tell you, he is so fun to watch. He is. I, I, I know I've said it, like, and probably so many Ranger fans like me have said it all year, but how did we go? From Henrik to Igor, right? We got lucky. in a span of like twenty years. I know, right? It's kind of like uh... no, I don't have a good reference for that. I was about to I say something. It's like the Packers going from Favre to Rogers, or the Niners yeah. going from Montana to Young. That's that's a fair reference. I think that's something that uh, could stick if you were yeah. Igor continues to play this way. You know, it could be something. To look out now, for in the future. Like in a couple of years, we'll we'll probably have to worry about his contract and whatnot. But that's that's a problem for another day. I don't really want to think about that right now. That's right. I mean, that's something Chris Drury will probably figure out, and I trust that he will because he's done a pretty good job this offseason building the Rangers to what they are. Yeah, I mean, real realistically speaking, the Rangers are up one nothing against arguably the best team in the East right now because of the way Igor has played throughout the first twelve minutes of this mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, and plus the Rangers have done some good things offensively as well. 
Garth says, granted, not to the same level, but went from Bishop to Bassey, so I can somewhat relate to you guys. Yeah, Bishop was a pretty decent goalie for the Lightning during mm-hmm. during those 2015 and 16 conference finals runs. But yeah, yeah, no, he Vassy pretty much. I would say not only did he surpass Bishop, he surpassed he surpassed the Bullen Wall too. Really? Yeah. Tommy Bullen was the goalie who won their other cup in 04. So, do you also have the Abs in six, or are you going a little different here? Yeah, I do. I think the St. Louis Blues again. This again, I swear, I wasn't copying off of you. This was just how I felt. I thought the Blues have the the like the talent level to at least steal a game or two, and they certainly have the goal to do that too. But again, they start as far as like with the Colorado Avalanche. Let me just say it one more time: if this isn't their year, then like at least if this isn't their year to get past the second round, then something went horribly wrong. What a st- what a, what a play there by Heedle. Um but yeah, I do agree. The Abs have to find a way to get past this series, and what a save! Heedle had a, a slap shot backdoor, and Ranta just throws out the left oh. pad. Oh, I will say this: though. watch out for Calgary, though. That that's that's a team that I think is the only one that could really match up with Colorado talent wise, like especially Johnny Hockey and. Then again, that team also survived a major Game 7 scare with Dick Edinger playing out of his nine and nearly putting Dallas in the second round. Well, let's let's get to the Battle of Canada, right? Edmonton mm-hmm. and Calgary. So the Flames eliminated the Stars in seven games. They move on to round two for the first time since 2015. The Oilers beat the LA Kings in seven games. A lot of these series went seven games. Um that's why I think hockey is the most exciting playoff sport to watch. Easily. Um, I mean, uh, I'm a huge NFL fan, so um, it's it, it's tough. But lately, over the past few years, the more I've gotten into hockey, I think hockey might be starting to overtake the NFL as far as playoff excitement goes because you have a series, right? Football is just one game and it's done. Mm-hmm. So with hockey, you have a best of seven and, you know, you really find out how good these teams really are. So with that being said, how good do you think Calgary really is, Hank? Because quite frankly, I don't know if I think they're as good as you think they are. Um, I really like Edmonton. I mean, I, I think they have the best player on ice in Connor McDavid. And I really like them in this series, the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, yes, you're right. Edmonton has Dreisaitl and McDavid. Nice to see them finally win a playoff series for once. Actually, actually, no, I think this is the second time that they won a playoff series. I remember they winning in 20, them winning in 2017, but then they choked against the Ducks in the second round. But in any event, it's nice to see, that, see McDavid finally get another playoff series win. The problem with Edmonton for me is I don't think they're quite as deep as the Calgary Flames are, and – as far as the goalie matchups goes, like if it wasn't for Igor Shosturkin, I think I think Jacob Markstrom would definitely be in talk for the talks for the Vezina Trophy. He's had a solid season in his own right, and I think Calgary ends up winning this in uh, six games. Not to mention Johnny Johnny Gaudreau, another guy who can probably match them at least talent wise. He's a good player. He's a very very good player. Um, Garth. Calgary brings so much offensive power to that series. 
interested to see how McDavid plays in this one. I think McDavid's going to play so well that the Oilers win this series in seven over Calgary. I have Edmonton advancing to take on the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Yeah, I just I can't have two one seeds coming out of the Western divisions. I I had to go a little different there. Um, That's okay. That makes sense. I'm just not as like high on them talent wise besides. Yes, Brady Kachuk's been fantastic too. I just can't like, I can't bet on Auto or Edmonton talent wise. Like, given besides McDavid and Drysaddle, who do they really have? And also Mike Smith compared to Jacob Markstrom, that's not a fair comparison either for me. But by the way, let me give you another fun fact. This is actually the first time since 1991 that we've had a Battle of Alberta, which which is funny because in the 80s that used to be pretty common back when. Uh, Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier and the boys were leading the Edmonton Oilers to cup after cup at, in the mid to later part of the decade. And then the one time that they were blocked, the, the one team that prevented them from winning from winning five in a row was the, the Flames in 86, actually. Well, since you're the review and preview historian, now let me ask you this. Can you tell the folks at home what happened the last time in the Battle of Alberta? I believe that was the Oilers winning. That was Mark Messier's last year with the team. And with that being said, we have our first split of the night. I'm going Oilers. Hank's going Flames. Um, The Flames and the Oil. Uh, Just think of it that way. There's going to be a lot of fireworks in that series. Very exciting. By the way, I might add. Yes. You know, I had to pick one upset. So, Mm -hmm. You know, that's that that's the one that I'm gonna roll with, the one that's probably least expected. Um maybe St. Louis over Colorado is probably the least expected one, but uh, it wouldn't be as surprising given Colorado's history for not making it past the second round, a la Washington Capitals before twenty eighteen. Right. Although I think the Blues have the worst odds to win the cup out of the teams left, and then I think the Rangers are second worst, but you know, uh, that goes out the window once the games start being played. So we'll see what happens. Um, Man, love talking hockey. But um, we'll keep an update on the Rangers game. So a little over two minutes to go in the first period. The Rangers lead the Carolina Hurricanes 1-0. And so far, it's been the Rangers uh, controlling Majority of the first period, Carolina's gotten some looks. Ranta's made some amazing saves. So has Igor. But the Rangers have gotten more opportunities offensively, and they've taken advantage. Um, and there's another glove save from Ranta. So um, we'll see We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. But moving on, we're going to gear off hockey for a little bit, but we'll keep you updated with the game, uh, the NBA playoffs. And I just want to say I'm very disappointed with my team the Milwaukee Bucks, Mm. losing to the Boston Celtics in seven games. And I'm not the fan that's going to use injuries as an excuse. Mm -mm. Although it would have been nice to see what the series would have been if Chris Middleton would have played. I think the Bucks would have won. But I also think the Bucks should have and could have won without him. So I think this is a legit series win for the Boston Celtics. I think they were the better team uh, coming back down 
three games to two. They're the team that's done that the most in NBA history in the playoffs, down three games to two. You have to give credit to veterans on that team like Al Horford, Marcus Smart. Um, they're really good. And, you know, the Bucks role players weren't as good. Grayson Allen was not shooting the ball well the last couple of games, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if I like 36-year-old George Hill and 35-year-old Wesley Matthews playing significant minutes for my team anymore. Um, I think those minutes should be going elsewhere. Um, you know, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis can only do so much off the bench. Those were the only two Bucks players off the bench that really showed up in this series. You know, and Connaughton didn't have the best game seven, but he went off on game six. So I give him somewhat of a free pass there. But you have to help out Giannis. You have to help out Giannis. And the game plan was to let these role players beat you. They didn't want Tatum to beat them. They didn't want Brown to beat them. Yet Tatum still went off in points. But, I mean, oh, what a save again by Ronta. And another. My gosh. Jeez. This, this man is going off. But Grant Williams had a career game with 27 points, seven threes on 18 attempts and six boards. And at the beginning of this game, I'm like, all right, let Grant Williams shoot the basketball from the perimeter. They can't beat us that way. My gosh, was I wrong? They couldn't close out on this man. Second half came along. I'm like, what happened to the Bucks' offense? Where did it go? Uh, you know, Giannis in a little foul trouble in that first half, Drew Holiday taking way too many shots. He's playing like a little rascal out there. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he had to step up and be that second guy. Giannis and Brooke Lopez can't be the only two guys showing up for game seven. The Bucks, in my personal opinion, were the best team in the East again this year. The only reason why Boston had the home court advantage is because they had the same record and Boston had the tiebreaker. They had the same record and the Bucks didn't even play their best guys the last game of the season. As the first period ends with the Rangers up one nothing, but back to my rant here. You can't really blame Mike Budenholzer that much. I think he deserves some of the blame because he is the head coach. And a lot of people say, oh, well, he doesn't make great in-game adjustments. He makes adjustments from game to game. That might be true. That might be true. But if your best players off the bench are Derek White, Daniel Tice, and Peyton Pritchard, how the hell do you lose this series? How do you lose this series? Peyton Pritchard went off. This isn't a guy that should be dropping 10 to 12 points on you a game. It shouldn't be happening. They were missing Robert Williams. They were missing Robert Williams. I and mean, They weren't the only team dealing with injuries, guys. The Milwaukee Bucks have to find a way to maximize Giannis's prime. And it starts with getting draft picks making good selections. They need to replace Brooke Lopez eventually. I'm not saying yet. He has one year left on his deal. You have Chris Middleton. You have Drew Holiday. It's a real shame they couldn't get out of game seven. Um, Hank, I think game six is where they lost the series. Oh, I agree. Like game five, they had one of the crazier comebacks in NBA history. Like weren't the Celtics up by like what, six or seven with like about a minute to go in the fourth quarter. Like, what are the odds of a comeback like that? And if you had told me that the Bucs were going to do that in game five at Boston Garden, I know it's TD, but I'm, I still call it Boston Garden. I think a lot of people in that city do. But 
in any event, like if you if if that happens on their floor going to game six, I would have I would have almost easily assumed the Bucks would win. No, like you have home court, you're trying to close up a team, you, you gotta put them away. But the fact well, of the matter is they couldn't do it. And as great as Giannis was, I think you pretty much said it best. The Bucks role players did not quite match the Celtics. And if the Celtics role players are gonna be beating them, like I don't care whether you have Chris Middleton or not, that's a big problem. But also, you have to give credit to the Celtics where credit is due. That's a deep team, well coached by Udoka. And, you know, it, it's funny. A lot of people, there were people thinking, oh, why'd the Celtics go for Al Horford in the offseason? Turned out the Celtics wouldn't even be here without Al Horford, who unfortunately is out with COVID and probably was a reason why the Celtics ended up losing game one in Miami. But with that being said, I still think the Celtics find a way to bounce back and win the series, even though I I'm personally hoping that doesn't happen, but yeah, no, I think you said it best. The Milwaukee bucks were definitely the best team in the Eastern conference. I think they had a golden opportunity and to see them repeat with a guy who I think is the best player in the NBA would have been really nice to see, but unfortunately that was an opportunity blown. And then again, I don't know if this makes you feel better, like, but at least they did not have as bad a game seven as say the team they beat in that same NBA finals a year ago in the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns scored 27 points in one half, but Garth brings up a good comment here. Grant Williams is that dude you see at rec league. You don't think is good, but ends up cooking your whole team. He was that way at Tennessee as well. Garth, very underrated, very good player. player. I love that. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. And the best Bucks draft pick over the past four years was traded away midseason. Dante DiVincenzo. He could have played a factor. He was a starter. They replaced him with Grayson Allen. I like Grayson Allen more than most people do, but he needed to show up those last two games. And the inexperience in the playoffs for him showed. That was the first time he's made it that far in the playoffs. But Now, let's talk about what the Celtics have done since then. So last night, they played game one against the Miami Heat. They lost 118 to 107. They led pretty much that whole first half. However, the third quarter was a disaster. They were without Smart. They were without Horford. Things were going well for them. And in the third quarter, they get outscored 39 to 14. 39 to 14 in one quarter. Uh, Jimmy Butler. Had 41 points, nine boards, five assists. And this is what makes the Heat so good. Gabe Vincent, 17 points. Max Struess had 11 and four. Tyler Hero had 18 points and eight rebounds off the bench. When you got guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess starting for you and scoring double-digit figures in the playoffs, I mean, that tells you something about them. The Miami Heat have the best developmental um staff in the in, in the NBA, the way they're able to develop players. They have players on their roster you've never even heard of before, and they come in and they play well, right? Like I would also argue that that's the best coach team in the NBA. Yeah, Eric Spolstra is such an underrated head coach, as I think Doc Rivers is very overrated. That's how I feel about Eric Spolstra. He's the opposite. He's underrated. But Sean Militello says Jimmy Butler is that dude. Well, he might be because he took a Celtics win away from them last night. He helped Miami escape, survive. Imagine how you mu- how must how you must feel if you're a Philly fan. I mean, you had this guy. You could have 
could have re-signed him, but instead you overpay the hell out of Tobias Harris and look where you are now. You end up trading Ben Simmons for James Harden. James Harden's pretty much a no-show in the playoffs. Yeah. In two, in two years from now, he'll be off the Phillies. <laughs> two, two years from now, he'll be off the team. Trust the process, though, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Phillies just shit show. Oh, and look at this comment. Eric is the best head coach in the league. Um, you might be right. Uh, I still think Pop is up there, but Pop is getting older now. The Spurs don't have as much firepower, don't have as much talent. The Heat, outside of Jimmy Butler, I mean, who's their second guy? You could argue it's Bam. You could argue it's Tyler Hero. That's really their big three, if you think about it. That's not a great big three. Tyler Hero is very young. He's only 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Man, Adebayo is very young. He, he's not your prototypical center. He's undersized, and he, he still needs to put on more weight, in my opinion. But Jimmy Butler carries this team. I mean, they made the finals two years ago. And in this game, give the Celtics some credit. Their role players showed up, right? Tatum, 29. Brown, 24. Robert Williams, 18-9, back in the starting lineup. Peyton Pritchard, hell, had 18 points, five boards, and four assists. But each team shot the ball over 45%. Jimmy Butler is what ignites the engine of the Miami Heat's offense. They bring the heat. And that's why they're up one nothing in this series. But similar to Hang's prediction, I think this series is going to go long. I think the Celtics are going to give this team a fight. I think they're going to give this team a fight. If the Celtics... We're able to, t- to take down the Bucks in seven. I think they're taking down the Heat also in seven. I agree. And that is my prediction for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yep, I agree. I swear it's like you like to copy off me if you were taking the same test as me. No, I'm kidding. If anything, if anything, you and I would have been in the same study group, but that's neither here or there. The fact of the matter is great minds think alike. I think ultimately as – as great of a job as the Heat have done over the course of the season, beating a Sixer team that at first glance probably could have beaten them on paper, but, you know, at the same time, like having a washed up Harden doesn't really help. I think they're going to give the Celtics all they can handle, but ultimately I think the Celtics are not only very deep, but they're one of those rare teams that have a good combination of being, you know, skilled offensively and really good defensively. And oh, it makes my me sick to my stomach to even admit that. But I think the Boston Celtics are probably going to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. Yaks a little bit on the inside. The NBA finals might have been this past weekend. Yeah. My personal opinion. Yeah. In my, in my personal opinion. Uh, it's shame. It's a damn shame the Bucks couldn't be there again. Uh, I'm very frustrated. Uh, you can tell I'm a little bit angered tonight about just talking about this. Mm-hmm. So on that note, let's move on to the West because I don't want to talk about let's. it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out Sean Militello in the comment section. Congrats on Tyran Matthew, Jarvis Landry. Man, Dennis Allen's pulling some strings down in NOLA. I mean, my gosh, you got Matt McMahon as your head coach. At LSU now, you got Brian Kelly. I mean, gosh, 
That cake is for, turning out pretty well, Sean. Man. <laughs> Western Conference. The Golden State Warriors made the conference finals, which is something that most people expected. Me too. But the one team that a lot of people, including myself, didn't expect to make it to the conference finals. In fact, I didn't have this team making it out of the first round because their star player has no supporting cast. It's the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks have been carried by Luka Doncic. They beat the Jazz. They beat the Suns in seven. Not only did they beat the Suns in seven, they ran them off the TV screen. What's that phrase that I want to borrow from a certain guy from the sports box? Oh, yeah, boat raced. I just want to say this. I think Devin Booker, he's too obsessed with the Kardashian lifestyle right now. I I, I don't think he showed up. And you you see that meme of Luca just looking at him. And, yeah, Sean brings up a good point. Their second-best player is Jalen Brunson. He's about to get paid. He's right. Mm Mm-hmm. The boot don't mess around. Yeah, you know, Louisiana is kind of shaped like Italy a little bit. Not quite. Not quite, but the boot shape. The boot shape. Yeah, no, if you want to call it the boot, yeah, but then... The boot stay. Italy is like a high leather boot, whereas Louisiana is more like, you know, a timber tops boot, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to start a geography class here on Review and Preview. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the Mavs, again, led 57-27 to at halftime. They also trailed the series, like the Celtics, 3-2. to Now I ask you this, Hank. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have as your star player in the series, Stephen Curry or Luka Doncic? Luka is fantastic, but I don't know if I'm ready to say him quite yet and I know this might sound biased because Tom you probably know that I'm a big fan of Steph Curry so I gotta give it to the to the guy who had a lot of three-pointers and I mean look he not only changed the game but I mean he pretty much put the Warriors right on the map and look you can tell me that he had a great supporting cast after like it really became his team and I want to say 2012 2013 with Draymond Green, who you could probably make the cases of the glue of the Golden State Warriors, like him or not. But then you had a good right-hand man in Clay Thompson, and then for him to still be leading the Warriors to greatness, even after Kevin Durant, who you could also at one point have made the argument was the best player in the NBA, I think I think that really speaks volumes to how good Steph Curry was, and not to mention this is the same player who's won a, who became the first player ever to win a unanimous MVP, which when you consider how many greats have been in the sport, it's it's really a surprise. But I definitely would have to say Steph Curry, but that answer is subject to change. I think Luca, I know granted, I know it's only been a few years since he has been in the league, but I think he is absolutely fantastic. He has done a great job pretty much putting the Mavericks on the map. And Tom, to piggyback to piggyback off a quote that you said at the beginning regarding the Dallas Mavericks, you said that, like, you know, you didn't think they'd get past the first round that Luka carried them. I thought that the Mavericks were going to – were in serious trouble once once they didn't have Luka for the first few games of that Utah series. I think – I thought Utah was going to do pretty well. And, and you know, the more games that Luka had missed at the beginning of that series, I thought that was pretty much it for them. But, no, they didn't go home. They 
they bounced back. They won game two without Luca, and then he came back with a vengeance. They won that series in six games. And then for them to absolutely destroy the Suns and pretty much, you know, you could probably make the case that they ended the Phoenix Suns window of opportunity. I think that also pretty much speaks volumes for the Dallas Mavericks, but I, I'm just, I'm not sure if I'm ready to put Luke ahead of Steph just yet based off of the accomplishments that Steph has had, but it, it could change within the matter of a few years, possibly time will tell. A couple comments, some funny ones as well. We got a lot of Southern flavor in the comment section tonight. We got Garth. We got Johnny Montalbano. We got Sean <laughs> Militello who disagrees with you, by the way, and says Luca by far. And that's um, fair. That's fair. And also, Brian McArdle, Louisiana is a work boot for shrimp fishing. Italy is like a snooty Louis Vuitton high heel. I could see his point with the Louis Vuitton high heel because it the Italian yeah. because the the country itself the boot kind of it, it, it curves up and then Sicily is kind of just hanging out there. As we're at the Louis Vuitton boot, yeah, you you, you might get the same thing. Um, should probably be talking to a woman about this and not myself and yourself. <laughs> uh, it's funny, though. Italy is a stripper boot and Louisiana is a shrimp boot. Okay. But back to this comment. Mm-hmm. I agree with Sean. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. Not by far. I like Luca because, in my opinion... Steph doesn't play good enough defense. He doesn't play good enough defense. He's a little bit undersized. Uh, He's the better shooter. Mm -hmm. He's the better shooter. But I I think Luka does everything else besides shooting better. I think he's an overall better scorer. I think he's a better rebounder. He's a better assist man. He's a better defender. And he's got the size advantage, and he's young. I mean, this guy's like 21, 22. He's going to be in the league for another 15 years if things go right. Um, Sean says, I would take Luka over prime Steph. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Steph Curry, one of the best players the NBA has ever seen, came from a small school in Davidson. By the way, shout out to him for getting his degree at Davidson after 12 years in the NBA. But um, we haven't seen a player like Luka Doncic ever enter the NBA. Um, he's got a little magic in him. He's got a little Larry Bird in him. He, he, he's got a little multiple players in him. He's kind of a mix of like some of these elite stars that have played in this basketball league before. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, that's my argument for Luka. Um, I, I just think he's so good. He's so good. He's been in the league three, four, four years now. I mean, I'm going with him right now. Makes sense. Makes but sense. I, I, you, you can't go wrong with Steph Curry either. I mean, it's for me, it's not Luka by far. For me, it's it's more close. Yeah, that's a bad decision. Um, totally fair. Yeah. But who do you have in this series, Hank? I think eventually Dallas's time will come, provided they can build a solid foundation yeah. around Luka Doncic. But I don't think they're there quite yet. I think the Warriors are definitely the deeper team with 
not just the guys I mentioned, but you also add Jordan Poole to the mix, who has also quietly been having a really good NBA playoffs. In fact, he scored 30 points in his first ever playoff game. Fun fact, I think that's probably one of the most for a player in his NBA debut. But getting getting back to the series, I'm going to take the Warriors in five games simply because experience matters. They're battle-tested. They're also well-coached. I don't think enough people really talk about the job that Steve Kerr has done with the Golden State Warriors. And yes, yes, I know, I know. He's had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. But when you really look at it, a lot of a lot of the Warriors players have really praised him for the job he's done. And so, so have M- people who've really followed him. So at the end, I don't think it's going to be that close of a series. I'm going to give it to the Warriors in five, but I think Luka definitely helps him steal a game. I agree with the Warriors pick, but I don't agree with the five-game pick. I do think the Warriors win the series. That was my original pick to make the finals. I'm going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that half my finals prediction would be right. But there's something about Don. And oh, my God. If he wins a chip this season, he passes Giannis as the best player in the world. Um, how about he wins an MVP first before we talk about this discussion? Yeah. This guy's been in the league for three to four years. Giannis has been in the league since 2013. Now, I get it. He's doing a lot with not much. But, my gosh. Luka versus James. That's a bold statement right there. Sean has Luka in seven. He doesn't even have Dallas. He doesn't even have Dallas. He just has Luka. Luka in seven. He's a big Dodgers <laughs> fan, man. Look, I give, I give him credit. You know, he's saying some ballsy things, and he's backing it up with some good evidence. No, good for him. I I, I love that he's supporting Luca. And and like I said, as much as as much as I love Steph Curry, I think Luca is absolutely fantastic. I'm just not ready to put him quite ahead in that higher tier. I think he's pretty much in the top ten, probably even close to the top five for sure. I'm just not ready to like rank him this high just yet. I think it's a little too soon. But kind of like a seniority thing in a sense. Um, yeah, exa- exactly. My point exactly, but. Again, I'm I'm also not sure if I'm willing to put him ahead of Giannis just yet, but still, if if he wins a championship, then we can then we'll start. We're certainly be hearing the talks for sure. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And for, for you me, supporting cast in Dallas. Yeah, for me, it's Clay, it's Draymond, it's Jordan Poole. Uh, it's everything they got. I, I don't think Dallas is going to be able to match up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Devin Booker and Chris Paul really struggled in that series. And I think Doncic and Brunson, they're uh, a younger duo. And uh, I think they're – look, I, I think Golden State's going to win the series, but I don't think they're going to win it convincingly. I'm not going to say they're going to win it in five. I think they're going to win it in six. It's hard for me to see – this series going any more than six only because of the youth that Dallas has, uh, you know, Jason Kidd, first year as their head coach. Um, I can't have, uh, I personally can't see two first year head coaches for their respective teams. Cause Kidd has been a coach before for multiple teams in the NBA finals. So I'm going to have golden state winning this in six. So, but we will see what happens. That game one happens tonight, so stay tuned. 
uh, out on the West Coast. Shout out to Jason Kidd. That's right. Shout out to Jason Kidd, former New Jersey net. Mm-hmm. Need I mention? Um, all right. Next, ooh, he should have been coach of the year instead of Monty. Mm, you could make that argument now because they they beat them in the playoffs. Yeah. But as far as the regular season goes, you have to give it to Monty because a he went to Notre Dame. Well, uh, I don't know if I'm going to. I'm not going to use that as my reasoning, but okay. And b um, the Suns won sixty plus games this year in the regular season, so very very impressive. Very, very impressive. And okay, in now, a loaded Western Conference, not to mention. All right. Now, let's get to the next sport, some MLB talk. Mm-hmm. And the Mets are 24 and 14. They're 10 games over 500. They're in first place in the National League East. However, they did lose their first series of the season. It took until mid May. So, shout out to my Mets for. You know, winning a lot of baseball games. They haven't swept anyone yet, but they've won all the series that they played in. Well, okay, we're talking three-plus game series. They, they they haven't swept. But they lost their first series of the year to the Seattle Mariners. Not sure I like that too much. I know they have some good hitters in their lineup, like Ty France in particular. He's been fantastic. But what concerns me about this team, Hank, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Mm-hmm. Tyler McGill and James McCann, both on the injured list. Jacob DeGrom is going to be out probably past the all-star break at this point. I don't know if he's coming back next year. I really don't. He says he wants to be a Met for life, but who knows? Um, Francisco Lindor, what was that? Yeah, that's a major red flag. It is a major red flag. And now Francisco Lindor, all of a sudden – is hitting 228. He's hitting also two red flag. Hitting 212 over the last month, 143 over his last 15 games. Eduardo Escobar, granted, I know he's not a good hitter for average, but my God, you can hit better than 217. You can hit better than 217, 192 over the last week. I mean, you brought Eduardo Escobar in as a priority free agent. Every oh, let's get excited about the match. Lindor's gonna have a great comeback year. Lindor sucks, guys. He's trash. He's not good with the bat. He gets fooled very easily. He has not been able to adjust to the National League pitching style. He 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 doesn't dwell in the big market as well. The fa- in fact, I'm shocked the Rangers won once he entered the arena Sunday night. Oh, easy, easy there. <laughs> Realistically speaking, though, I am concerned about this baseball team because – their stars aren't playing like stars. Um, Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil should not be the two best hitters on this team, all due respect to them. But right now they are. Mark Hen has been playing well as well. Starling Marte has been nice. I know he's on bereavement, unfortunately. But I'm just looking at this Mets rotation right now. They got Scherzer. They got Bassett. They got Carrasco. Taiwan Walker is not as good as people say he is. You know, he was an all-star last year, but a lot of his outs, they there were balls hit in the field. The defense bailed him out a lot. Hitters were hitting him hard all season long, and then people, oh, why, why does ERA go up in the second half of the season? Because you weren't striking many out. 
you were striking, but you were getting hit hard all year long. The opposition just wasn't getting hit. It was well, only a matter also, of time. Also, it doesn't help when like people start to get used to him too. Exactly. And the Mets' weakness is still their bullpen, but their ERA is now lower than the starting pitching's ERA. They play in a dysfunctional National League East. That is what they have going for them right now, that and their manager. And that is my mini rant about the Mets. That's the only negative I'm going to bring up tonight. I still think they're in good position to potentially make the playoffs as a wild card team. I don't have them winning the division. I'm not getting, you know, blinded by this 24 and 14 start. I know the downfall is coming. I know it's coming. It's it's not the matter of if, ladies and gentlemen. It's the matter of when. And look, I I, I would rather eat my words on this fork right now than be correct. <laughs> I really would. Some people don't think I would. Some people think I'd rather be correct. That's not the case. I live 10 minutes away from the stadium. I go to four to five games a year. I should probably be going to more. But the problem is this team's not good past June past July they're not can they get past the hump of June and July if they get past the hump of June and July then I'll be optimistic then I'll start to think hey I really think there's great potential with this team why am I not thinking that now because a lot of the same issues are still there the only difference is Buck Walters the manager and not Luis Rojas that's the difference and that's why the Mets are 24 and 14 Hank your thoughts well to add to that, they're also the only team in the NL East that's above 500 because the Braves are kind of sputtering and getting off to a, like a kind of a slow start. But eventually, I think the Braves are going to be a force in that division. I think eventually if the Phillies can like start to figure things out, granted they don't have the pitching, I don't know if they're going to be as much of a threat to the Mets as, say, the Braves. But you know, if, if their hitters really mash the ball and carry them to wins like they did against the Dodgers, I think – Maybe they're a team you eventually start to worry about. But otherwise, I I will say this to counter, I guess to play devil's advocate to what you're saying, you had to assume that the Mets were going to have a series loss eventually. I mean, the winning every series, like it's an impressive accomplishment in and of itself. And I think you kind of have to tip your cap to the Mets in that respect. But with that having been said, there's also a reason why and I'm not saying this as a Yankees fan who's trying to like hit on the Mets or whatnot. There's a reason that I was skeptic, skeptic about skeptical about the Mets as well. I'm one big reason is because Francisco Lindor and look, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't too high on his big contract either because well, one, first of all, you don't really, you got to be careful who you invest that much money in to a player. Granted, I know he was one of the best shortstops, at the time, but if you look at his batting average over the past few years, it had a slow and steady decline. And once he reached that point, he's going to be at the point where he presses hard for home runs. Now, with that being said, I still think he's kind of important defense defense wise because you can't you can't compete and not have a good shortstop. So I'll I'll say that too. But yeah, I, I get why you're concerned about Lindor and that contract is definitely going to rear its ugly head eventually in the pitching. Yeah, I I think. Even though for the most part it's been good, I think losing McGill is gonna could be a killer, especially with the good start that he's been off to. And you know, like you said, I gave like around late June, early July the cutoff point for 
where the Mets could be without a healthy DeGrom. And if they're without him for the break, they be- they better hope that they're still up by like five or six games at that point, because that's, that's not a good loss. Even with Max Scherzer pitching well and doing as well as advertised, like I think I definitely see some, I'm with you and I definitely see some red flags, but you know, again, who knows? Buck Walter always seems to do a great job in his first year with a new team. So I think the Mets could still probably be in the playoffs, but again, I'm not, I'm not sold on them. I never really was to begin with before the season. Mets will get boat raced the second half of the season. Shout out to Noah Dibler commenting on YouTube as uh, a fictional character there. Um, (laughs) We all know it's you. It's okay. Noah, you can feel free to pop in in the comment section, but I still think your Braves are going to win this division only because you don't have Soroka yet. When when you get Soroka back, I mean, my gosh, I, I think I still think he's very good. Um, and I think Dansby Swanson's going to come into his own at some point. Um, Acuna, I mean, the guy is ecstatic. And I'm just – okay, I'm looking at the Mets lineup tonight. and I have their lineup card open, and once you get past five, it's embarrassing. Hank, it's embarrassing. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I have to. Eduardo Escobar, your number six hitter, is hitting 215 on the season. Tom Smith, your DH, is hitting 194. Luis Guillorme, their number eight hitter, is the best hitter from six through nine, hitting at 269, and then Patrick Mazika hitting 222, and you can't really judge too much because they just brought him up. And you could argue, yes, a lot of these guys are playing due to the injuries the Mets are dealing with. You know, Marte is on bereavement. You lost McCann. But at the same time, it's not a good lineup. It's not a good lineup they have not been able to give Max Scherzer much run support. They did get out to a 2 nothing lead tonight thanks to a two-run single by Jeff McNeil, but now the game is tied. You know, Scherzer gives up two runs. He has no wiggle room. You know, Scherzer should be allowed to give up two runs here and there and still win baseball games. Um, I do think the Mets have done a better job hitting with runners in scoring position this year. But quite frankly, uh, I'm not – too confident, I want to say, because when Trevor Williams outperforms Taiwan Walker and Williams only goes four innings, that's a problem. Yeah. They won game one, three to one. And that that was a long relief game. That was a game where they were going to go by the bullpen because they're shorthanded on the pitching staff right now. Trevor Williams was brilliant. Four scoreless innings and six strikeouts. They acquired him last year. I think that was a part of the Javi Baez deal. Baez left. Williams stuck around, and he's turning out to be a really key piece for this team, Hank. And quite frankly, he's our number five starter right now. That's who we're going with. And I like the guy, but I'm not comfortable with it. And then Taiwan Walker, three runs and seven hits in five innings in the nightcap. It's not terrible stat line, but it's not a great stat line either. When your starter only goes five innings the game after, your starter goes four. Mm-hmm. Your starters combined in the doubleheader only went. I, I, I get it. I get it. Game two of the doubleheader, it's only seven innings this year, right? I, I, but still, Taiwan Walker did not look good last night. There was a lot more than the stat line that bothered me. His pitching mechanics, getting behind in counts, 
There was a lot that bothered me about Taiwan Walker tonight. But now the series is split, so the Mets got to split. They play the Cardinals tonight, third of a four-game set. Max Scherzer going up against Jordan Hicks. Scherzer 4-1 and one on the year. They're currently tied 2-2 two to two at the end of the third inning. And I do think there are brighter days ahead for the Mets. Um, I, I just – the problem is, Hank, when was the last time outside of Pete Alonso a good prospect has – come up on this team and has performed really well as of late. The Mets have no farm system. Their best prospect is Francisco Alvarez, a catcher who I still think is playing in double A because he's not ready. And then you have Brett Beatty, who's an outfielder, who's really good, but he's not going to be ready for about a year or two either. What farm system does this team have? Because Steve Cohen spends the money He's getting people's opinions on social media, which is fine. But are, are the fans having too much of a say because the fans want this, they want that, they want the slide? They're not focusing on what matters. They're not building this team the right way. I still think what Steve should have done when he bought the team was just nuke it and then, like, you know, built a good farm system. And then, and only then, would you open the wallet. Well, I hate, I hate to say this. If the Mets are going to rebuild... I think the Grom has to go next year. I think McNeil has to go next year. I would love to have Lindor go next year, but you can't because of his damn contract. <laughs> Mets fans want to extend Nimmo. I want to extend Nimmo, but can we extend Nimmo? He's one of my favorite players on the team. I love watching him play. Speaking of Lindor, I think we've got some stuff from the peanut gallery by a certain Braves fan. Get that Lindor jersey on, Tom. Oh, Noah Dibler. In the comments section, always a relief. Braves off to a slow start, but once they finally get going, that's better look out. No, yeah. I can't wait to get your perspective tomorrow on a show you may or may not have heard of called Hitting for the Cycle. <laughs> may or may not heard, but that's how I stand with the Mets. I am excited that the team is off to a good start, but I'm still concerned, and I think rightfully so. I get bashed for my pessimism time and time again, but these are valid points, and at the end of the day, I'm usually right about this team 90% of the time. It's just the way the cookie crumbles with the Mets. You can't expect too much and put your expectations too high. Um, once July or August come, my expectations will get a little higher. And if they're still in this position where they're about 10 plus games over 500, I will be partially satisfied and I'll be looking forward to the playoffs. That's all I have to say on the Mets. But moving on, Hank, let's get to your Yankees. Mm-hmm. Best record in baseball. I think that su- surprises you. Um, it does. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> 27 and nine, three game win. Hey, talk to me. Hell, I'm going to a Yankees game Sunday. I, I didn't buy the tickets, I got invited. I'm like, wow, yeah, I'll, I'll watch the best team in baseball. Yeah, it's been a pleasantly surprise. And, you know, you can ask a lot of people that I've talked baseball with, but I really didn't think the lineup was well-constructed. But it, as it turns out, it's deeper than I realized. And you want to know something that I really like about this team? They are way more fundamentally sound than they were a year ago. I mean, look, for starters, Thank God I don't have to complain about all those base running outs they made last year. Remember that time on hitting for the cycle when I went on a whole rant about how not fundamentally sound they were and how I brought up the stat where 
they made a whole nine innings worth of base paths. I do. And then remember when I talked about the errors and how at one point they were like pretty high among the teams that couldn't make errors. Well, guess what? Now, remember also when I told you a couple months ago that I thought the Josh Donaldson trade was a good one and not so much because it got them Josh Donaldson who could give them pop in the starting lineup, but also because of who else they got. Now, granted, the catcher that they got hasn't really played much, but thank God we no longer have Gary Sanchez, but that's another, that I'll get to later. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He's a much better fielding shortstop than Glaber was. Thank God we ended that experiment. And now you're getting someone who can actually play shortstop and field. I mean, that's definitely a breath breath of fresh air. And I think the other thing you have to think about is Aaron Judge, 10 home runs in the last 16 games. You do have to wonder whether, like, he motivated himself into not signing that big contract to be a Yankee for life. But at the same time, it's something that you love to see. And, you know, again, the – The downside about it is, yeah, the Yankees will probably end up having to pay more if they want to keep him, assuming that he keeps up this really good pace. But at the same time, I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing out of Aaron Judge. And, you know, besides him, I'll tell you the other thing that I have not said about the Yankees in a very long time. Look at their pitching rotation. Tom, can you remember the last time I told you that the Yankees had a great pitching rotation? Like the no. side after one and two, you can't. I mean, look, I still have my skepticism about Garrett Cole because I still have images of him giving the ball to Aaron Boone and telling him I'm, I'm effing done after that wild card game. But he's so far redeemed himself, and he's so far been the guy that you've you, that you're paying all the money to get, and that's pretty much what you want. And you know what else has been a pleasant surprise? Nestor Cortez. Now. He's obviously, this has obviously been dating back to the second half of last year. And Tom, if I'm being honest with you, if you really look at the the Yankees, the way they were last year, I don't think they're even in that playoff game with Boston, if, if not for the great pitching of Nestor Cortez, if you really think about it. He has been ace-like. I don't think he's lost too many games. He's got an ERA that's pretty close to close to two. He's a guy who, whenever you see him on the mound, especially after a loss, you pretty much have a feeling nine out of every 10 times the Yankees are going to win that game. So that definitely, he definitely feels ace-like. And then you have Jordan Montgomery, who unfortunately hasn't quite gotten the run support that he's needed, but he's been very effective. Luis Severino has having a good bounce back. He's finally, he's finally healthy. He's pretty much been out of action for most of the past two years because of Tommy John surgery. And then Jamison Tyon is still a decent fourth or fifth guy in the rotation. I mean, he got the win yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles. This is a this is a pretty solid team. And again, I'm not saying that I'm going to plan the parade, the ticker tape parade around the Canyon of Heroes, but you have to be encouraged by the fact that the Yankees are winning a lot of the games that they have to win. And whenever they lose a game, they're not streaky like they were last year. Because remember, after they had that 13 game winning streak, that was when they lost two out of three to the Angels, and then they had that really bad loss to the Baltimore Orioles at home. And I told you not to get too ex- – that it, things were going to go back down to earth after that 13-game win streak too. So definitely feels a lot better. But, again, because of what I've seen in years past, I'm still trying to be a little bit level-headed. But I do have to say one thing, though. I hate the take that people are saying, oh, the Yankees only have the best record because they're beating a lot of the bad teams. Well, again – let me compare this team to last year. 
What if the Yankees had beaten the Baltimore Orioles? The wild card game is in New York instead of Boston. And maybe if you had beaten the Orioles and maybe if you had beaten the teams like the Anaheim Angels and maybe if you don't get swept in a late May series by the friggin' Detroit Tigers, you probably would have won the division and not have had to sweat out the wild card. And maybe if you'd actually been better fundamentally sound, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the bottom line is I really like what I'm seeing and I can't wait to see what goes on. And I can't wait to really enjoy it more once the Rangers like Stanley cup run ends, but make no mistake. I want the Rangers with Stanley cup run. <laughs> what a time to be alive. If, if you're a fan of like two of my teams, he's having a good record in the Rangers being in a, having one of the best teams that they've had in, in, a, in a long time. And, a team that I think is only going to get better in, in a few years, assuming that Chris Drury does the right things. But again, that's a tangent for another day. I'm just, I'm just enjoying my sports teams right now. And it's been a while since I've really been able to say that. Enjoy the moment, right? I mean, we're halfway through the second period. The Rangers still lead the Hurricanes by a score of one nothing. This has been a very low scoring game. And Lafreniere just had a deflected shot that ricocheted off the right post. So Ricochet shots as Andy Hopper would say, yes, that, that is correct. We have a few comments. I'll get to them in just a moment. But, I mean, my opinion, we mentioned Judge, the 10 dingers in the last 16 games. They beat the Orioles yesterday 5-4. to four. Uh, Mike King had three scoreless innings out of the bullpen. I feel like the bullpen has always been a relatively good strength of the Yankees. The only member of that bullpen that gives me Aja, you know who it is. Come on, you're I do know who it is. It's Chapman. Yeah. It is Chapman. No, he, almost, he almost fucked up last night's game. Well, yeah, because I remember two or three years ago, uh, the playoff game, I think it was a game seven against the Astros or something. He gives up the home run in extras to eliminate yeah. the Yankees, something like that. I, yeah, and he gives so. up the home run to Bros, Brasso of the Rays in, in that yeah. Mickey Mouse playoff series. Mickey Mouse playoff series. But look, Aaron Judge – has played at an MVP level so far this season. 14 homers, 30 runs batted in yesterday, went four for five, two home runs, three RBIs, helped the Yankees get a five to four win. And tonight they're playing the Orioles, who, yes, you mentioned, you know, poor record, 14 and 23. Jordan Lyles against Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's looked pretty good right now. Five innings pitch, no runs, four hits, five strikeouts, 74 pitches. Uh, Jordan Lyles is doing okay. One of the runs the Yankees scored was unearned, but Josh Donaldson has had himself a nice night. He's two for two, and all of a sudden, his average has creeped up to that 260 number. I mean, he's another player that, where the hell has the production come from? I mean, hell, DJ LeMahieu's not even playing tonight. Again, that shows you. Aaron Boone has such a deep lineup that he could – at this point, probably pull a Billy Martin and just pull it out of a hat. Right. <laughs> That's a true story. Billy Martin actually did do that. Google it. I'm going to have to look that up now. I'm going to have to look <laughs> that up. But let's get to some comments before my next question for you. Um, how about the Rays and Angels? Taylor Ward has given that offense a whole new dynamic. He has. Oh, yeah. I'm still – again, I'm. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm still scared, scared to hell out of the Rays. That's a team that always – seems to find a way to be in the mix and the Blue Jays concern isn't going to go away for me, at least not until the Yankees are up by a sizable gap on them for first place. But yeah, Taylor Ward has been 
absolutely amazing. The Angels, I, I would argue that the Angels have probably been the biggest surprise for me in baseball right now. Now, whether that's like sustainable or not, that's that's something that we'll find out over the course of the season. But for the sake of Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani, just please stay competent and please stay relevant. It's good for baseball when they're good and when they're in the playoffs. Like it, mm-hmm. it's such a shame that they've been rotting by that friggin' team and that terrible Artie Marino, who's ugh, I, that guy. That guy's the worst owner in baseball. I can't tell you the last time we've seen both New York and both LA teams in the playoffs. Uh, that's because it's never happened before. Never happened before. We learn something new every night on Review and Preview, folks, and it's because of our historian, Hank and Dictor, who has all the facts stored in his photographic memory or numerical memory. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but Sanchez committed an error watching this <laughs> Again, Noah, thank God I do not have to deal with that catcher anymore. And it, and. Again, I'm going to say this again. It wasn't the hitting that bothered me about Gary Sanchez, even though that drove me up a wall. It was the fact that he couldn't block a damn ball to save his life, and it was the fact that he could not pitch frame to save to save his life, and it pretty much gave gave the Yankees like an honored run as a result of that. I agree with that. Um, it's definitely a good comment. A couple more comments from Noah, who continues to dominate. Uh, the Yankees, all right, well, we already talked about this. Um, that is a good point, though. My Padres playoff pick looks good so far. That it does. Canes in st- sixth. Hey, we both predicted the exact same thing. So um, we'll see what happens with that. Chapman also tried to blow game seven of the World Series for the Cubs. That is also very true. Hank, can you tell me who won game four of the 1917 Stanley Cup Finals? Seattle Metropolitans. No, again, Google that team. They existed. They, in fact, if you look at uh, the arena where the Kraken play, they have a banner like where they commemorate that old team. Yeah, you know, I mean, the way Hank knows his sports, especially about his teams in particular, is very impressive, which bodes me to ask you this question. Um, For those of the folks who don't know much about him, who is Nestor Cortez, this young pitcher for the Yankees who has uh, emerged onto the scene? And what does he bring? to the table pitching-wise that has helped this team get to where they are now? Nestor Cortez was a relief pitcher for the Yankees briefly in 2019. He didn't have a good go of it during that turn, that little go-around he had. Went to the Orioles briefly. The Yankees, I believe they claimed him off waivers during the middle of the 2021 season. He ends up like pitching in relief, but then they put him as a starter. He basically come. He started off that season as the opener, like in the middle. And I remember going to the the doubleheader against the Mets. The Yankees blew the first game. Thank you, Aroldis Chapman, for that, giving throwing a meatball to Pete Alonso to cost the Yankees that one. And the Yankees are actually like one game below 500. But then in the second game, guess who saves the Yankees bacon? Nestor Cortez. Now, granted, he only went like three or four innings because at that point he was pretty much an opener. But then... He did well in that game, and then over the course of the season, he ends up becoming like low-key one of the best pitchers in that starting rotation. And again, if you really look at the Yankees in September of twenty of twenty twenty one, Nestor was the best pitcher, and I should know because a lot of the games I went to that he started, they won. And again, if you look at Cole, that was also the month where 
he really started to fall apart, but that's a tangent for another day. This year, he ends up earning, like, what was it, the number three or number four spot. Yeah. He has a lot of really good games. In fact, he had that he had that 13 strikeout game against the Orioles that Yankees unfortunately couldn't get him enough run support. But then again, over the course of the season, he's an absolute ace. Mm-hmm. Seattle Metropolitan over Vancouver Millionaires. Wow. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that one. Yeah. Well, Noah's always great in the comment section. And Hank, you're always a great co host here on Raving Preview when you're available and i mean we're going to call the rest of the second period for the rangers before we sign off but that's pretty much all the topics we've got for for tonight folks and then tomorrow night you and noah are going to be at it hitting for the cycle at Mm -hmm. 7 p.m so that should be fun tonight was a little small preview of that focusing strictly on just the two new york teams which is what we do here on review and preview you know i get to talk about my mets Kyle gets to talk about his Yankees when he's on. Mm-hmm. Hank is pretty much replacing Kyle tonight, talking about his Yankees. And Zabinijad just had a shot blocked. Um, and the Rangers have possession of the puck. But anything you want to add on uh, America's pastime here before we uh, call these final two minutes of the period? Listen, let's just keep enjoying the good ride. The Yankees have got something pretty good going and again whether they can really go this far whether this can be sustainable over the course of the season who really knows but you know what i'm excited but it also helps that i have two good teams playing at the same time again what a time to be alive let's go yankees and of course lgr lgr is right and noah with a comment here as well Hank got the good guess out of the way, so we had to scrape the bottom barrel for tomorrow night. Noah's no, a funny guy. I I beg to differ, Noah. You've actually been one of More my like guests. Top, and top of the barrel. <laughs> I would I would actually say you you did a great job as what you said it yourself would as being like my honorary co-host for like the end of my first season, especially because like the Braves had that good run, and it was great getting to hear your perspective of that Cinderella run and. I love hearing your story about how you became a Braves fan, too, by the way. That was pretty awesome. It is a great story. Um, But, folks, make sure to check out Hank and Noah tomorrow night. And with a minute plus left now, we're just going to take a look here at this Rangers game. Uh, They're still up 1-0 here in the second period. Again, the winner of this series will advance to the uh, conference finals. And the Rangers have not been in this position in quite some time, Hank, and uh, it's just very impressive what they've been able to do defensively against the Hurricanes tonight thus far. Yeah, no, I definitely was expecting Carolina to be peppering Igor like crazy, but got to give the defense some credit. And, you know, the Rangers really needed something like that because you look at what happened in the last few games of the Penguin Series, Igor pretty much had to stand on his head to really save the Rangers bacon. And again, I'm not going to I'm not going to say he stole the, that series in the comeback, like far from it. Like if, if you give up three goals in the last like three games, I don't know if I'd call that a steal, but when it mattered most, that was when he, he was at his best. And again, that's exactly what you want from a guy who is not only like a shoe in at this point for the Vesna, but somebody who you could very well make an argument for heart trophy winner. And for the Rangers to be having this good defensive play so far, really encouraging, especially against a team that, like, 
again, you can ask Brian, you can ask a lot of other Ranger fans. This was the team that scared us in the division by far. And I don't think it was really close. And I'm still like pretty worried about the scene. This game is not over yet, but I you have to like what you're seeing out of the New York Rangers so far. I do too. I love what I'm seeing. Svechnikov has been quiet. We have the Battle of Alberta coming up later on tonight. Mm-hmm. Hockey has been fun to watch so far this postseason. And Noah says, emotional story to becoming a Braves fan. Meanwhile, I became a Pens mm-hmm. fan because I love their logo in NHL 12. <laughs> I love to That's see that. Cool. Noah's from Georgia. So, you know, we got a lot of Southern flavor in the comments section tonight. We got two Florida guys. We got a North Carolina guy or South Carolina guy. Pardon me. Uh, we got a Pennsylvania guy in there. I mean, man, we got a Louisiana guy. So, you know, yeah. we, we, we got a lot of uh, diversity in, in the comments section, people from different parts of the country, which is why, you know, we always like to put on a show for the fans. But Hank, any final words of wisdom before we leave here tonight? um tom once again thanks for uh bringing me on i had a lot of fun with you as always always good going back and forth with you regarding our teams and whether it be us having the opposite view in baseball and of course you know i'm really looking forward to talking some giants with you maybe in a few months down the road hopefully hopefully we'll see some signs of encouragement but again when i just need to knock on wood regarding that team but regardless one more thing i gotta say LGR. Let's go Rangers, ladies and gentlemen. Folks, remember to check us out on all of our social media platforms below on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Anchor for our audio podcast and our TikTok account at Review and Preview. Hank is very active on that. So if you like what you saw from Hank tonight, make sure to catch more of Hank on there. Folks, want to thank you all very much for watching. And uh, without further ado, hope you all have a good night and I will catch you all next week for another special edition of Review and Preview.